with you as we continue our series called Reclaim, uh, loving, leaving, and finding our faith, in which we're looking at aspects of our faith that might need some sorting through, trusting that as we wrestle through what we love and what we might need to leave behind, that God is in that process, and that in our seeking, we just might find a faith that is even more what we have always loved. And this is, uh, as, as you notice, Palm Sunday. And gosh, the kids were super cool and super cute. That was awesome. And Crystal did a great job explaining Palm Sunday to us. I feel like I understand it better now. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, but Palm Sunday is a little bit of a different thing. Uh, I love the kids, you know, waving branches around, being awesome. Uh, and that's natural for us. At my house, my kids spend a lot of time uh, swinging sticks and branches around, usually at each other, is how it goes. Um, but Palm Sunday is an interesting uh, story. It's kind of sometimes a little bit hard to get into. But as we'll see, it's a, it's a beautiful, powerful, evocative story that has a lot for us in our time. But it is a different story. And part of it comes down to the word that we're engaging with this week. It's this word, king, because Palm Sunday is full of king imagery sometimes. And I'm not sure exactly in modern life what to do with that word always, truthfully, because you really only hear the word king positively in religious spaces like this. Well, I mean, other than like fast food joints, then you hear king positively in those ways. But other than that, there's not really positive king imagery in our world. I mean, we live in a country, think about this, that was literally created to not have a king. Uh, if, If you're watching Game of Thrones tonight, no one's rooting for the king to win. You're always rooting for the upstart to throw over the king. That's how it works. The only positive kings that we see in culture are in Disney movies. And if you're a good king in a Disney movie, I hate to break it to you, your life expectancy is not that great. <laughs> life is tough for good Disney kings. So king is hard to wrap our minds around. Now, if the word we were engaging with was queen— then we could go there. Like, we know what that's about. We can get behind queens in our world. The king is tough, right? Besides, we've seen that word king go wrong sometimes in real life. Sometimes we've seen historically that using that word king in religious contexts can be synonymous with this vision of victorious patriarchal triumphalism, where the king is the one who defeats all the other comers, you know, reinforcing this dualistic worldview of us versus them, of in and out, that our God is bigger than your God perspective of power, like this is some religious wrestlemania that we're involved in. And even more, I think for us personally, in our own lives, this triumphal king who always comes out on top can make us feel in those really tough seasons where we're not on top, where we start to wonder whether we're really on the king's team at all. We know when we see this beautiful Jesus that none of those things match Jesus. The Jesus who draws near to the vulnerable, who crosses borders and us versus them dichotomies, who breaks down walls and welcomes all in love, and especially those who are not on top by societal standards and loving us every step of our journey, especially the unsteady ones. And in the end, giving his power and position, and person, in love for the reconciliation and the liberation of us all. That's the Jesus, and that doesn't sound like king as we know it in our world and culture, but maybe it sounds like king as it should be. And so this word king, I think, is a word that could use some reclaiming. 
And fortunately for us, it is Jesus himself who does the reclaiming work for us right here on Palm Sunday. Jesus reclaims this word for his culture and his time. But to unpack that, I think we need to understand a little bit more about the, the metaphor of king in its ancient, ancient context. And so let's dig in a little bit. Like any ancient metaphor, king is multifaceted with many meanings and nuances and layers and subtleties and subversions. And so the most important question that you can ask of a metaphor is what did this word mean to the people of the day? And in the ancient context, that word king meant like everything to people in those days. King may seem distant and and fantastical for us today, but in ancient times, king or queen was the single most influential dominant force in your life. This word, in some ways, controlled in many ways your financial and physical and social well-being, your potential, and your flourishing for you and for your family. King embodied the head of the political system under which people lived. This ancient domination system ruled by powerful and wealthy elites. In those days, it was a loaded word and a big deal. And so how did Jesus interact with this word king? Well, despite what I think I assumed when I went to the text for the first time, prior to Palm Sunday, Jesus never came near taking that word on himself and and didn't really that much afterwards even. But he did, however, talk about a related topic a lot, the kingdom of God. This idea was central to Jesus' teaching. In some ways, it was the summary of the perspective and worldview that Jesus taught. And so you see this in, in places like Luke 9, 11. It says, when the crowds found out about Jesus, they followed him, and he, Jesus, welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' way of going. He welcomed people in and taught them about the kingdom of God. And so what is this kingdom thing, right? I know the magic kingdom, and I think it's awesome. I love the magic kingdom, but it's expensive. Uh, and so you got a lot of questions like, what is the kingdom of God, and is there a Groupon for it? How do we get in on this? So to the original hearers, uh, they would have been listening intently at this word kingdom, and they would have heard immediately the context and the deliberate contrast. The kingdom of God is the vision of life as if God's way ruled, not the way of Caesar or the way of Herod, not of the powers of this world, but of the peace of God, not the way of might, but of mercy, not the way of oppression, but of justice in response to humanity's injustice toward each other. In the kingdom of Caesar, it may seem like only the strong and the shiny are the ones who rise to the top, the favored ones. But with God, Jesus says over and over, in the shape of this kingdom, all are favored. He says this in places like Luke chapter 6, in verse 20, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And on and on. It was a kingdom of welcome, a kingdom of restoration, a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of enough for all people. It was a radical vision of the world made right, restored, reconciled, and renewed that was open to all people with the life and the way of God at its center, as its king. So the Hebrew prophets talked about this. They, they called it, in often places, they called it the peaceable kingdom. Sometimes you hear folks around here talk about the kingdom of God and use that name to remind us that this vision is about the unity of all people. 
Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. referred to this kingdom of God as the beloved community, a community with love at its center, and claiming that every member of the community was a beloved child of God. And all of those words reflect, I think, the heart of this kingdom of God, because at its heart, Jesus' vision was one of, of dignity, of equality, of unity, of welcome for all people, and of flourishing of all, of, as we talked about last week, of shalom, this vision of holistic flourishing for all people and all creation. But the remarkable thing about Jesus' message was not just the vision, although that was remarkable. It was the invitation that Jesus offered. Jesus said over and over that this reality, this kingdom, is present with us even now in life, that's available to us right now. In fact, he says, the kingdom of God is among you. We're invited to live within it and with it, among it. And as we'll see, we're invited to help grow it, to help bring that kingdom about. So this kingdom of God, this life in the way of God is among us, Jesus says, among all of us. And despite what it looked like, Jesus says this over and over, despite what the Caesars or the religious leaders of the day might say about how things work in the real world, Jesus over and over says that this kingdom is the real, real world. It's the most powerful, enduring reality, the shape and the arc of the moral universe, the shape of our true life together. To quote the old hymn, Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler, yet was part of Jesus' message that God's love wins. And importantly uh, for, for us, although there was an eternal aspect to the kingdom, certainly, it was just as much about now, the here and now, if not more so. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about the gold, the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about the gold streets of heaven. He was talking about places like the old streets of Denton, although they will be working on them for eternity, and so that will stretch on <laughs> forever. But it's about the presence, about the lives of those around us in our communities, in our relationships, in our neighbors, in our environment, right here. So, for instance, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, if you've prayed this prayer before, we pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. We're praying for the kingdom of God, the way of God, to come on earth just like it is in heaven. We're praying because heaven's doing fine, but it's earth that needs the help, right? That's what we're praying for. And in that prayer, there's this clue about the nature of the kingdom. It's when God's will and way is done on earth and in our lives. When God's way, not Caesar's way, rules. So we talk a lot about the way of God around here, and, and Jesus talked about that a lot, about the character of the kingdom of God. But in this book, James, the book of James, it's this little book toward the end of our scripture library. The author of James summarizes the law of the kingdom. And every kingdom has laws, right? And you're like, ah, oh, I knew there was a catch. There's laws in this kingdom. Right? So here's what James says. It says, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law, the law of this kingdom and of this king. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law. 
And by living out that law, by that ethic, we participate in bringing about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we create the beloved community, by loving our neighbor just as we ourselves are loved. Love is the means and the ends of our work here on earth. And I don't mean just like loving, like we're just going around handing out Barney the Purple Dinosaur hugs to everyone. There's our true king right there. Like we talked about last week, we're talking about love in action, a love that seeks in our world to bring about shalom, to bring about the holistic flourishing of all people. And any time as you move through this world that you are at work helping someone, or even yourself, as you love your neighbor and help them flourish, you are bringing about the kingdom. You are building it up, the beloved community where all children of God flourish. And so teachers, when you're at work helping your students gain skills to flourish as themselves, you are building the kingdom. And artists who are at work creating beauty and goodness and flourishing in our world, you are building the kingdom. And workers, as you go through your job and you help your coworkers flourish by empowering them in their giftedness, not diminishing them, you are building the kingdom. And for all of us, when we love and when we welcome with a heart toward love of our neighbor, for their flourishing. We are building the kingdom seed by seed. Jesus said this about the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God like? To what should I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the ground and sowed in the garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. This work is a work of growing something, like a seed that grows and gives shelter and life and flourishing to all who pass by our way. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It is among us, as Jesus says. But it is a kingdom that is still coming in full, that is still being grown by us with God working along with us and before us and through us, seed by seed, day by day, generation by generation, choice by choice, as we choose to live in the way of God and not in the way of Caesar. To quote Brian McLaren, this is a road that we make by walking. And so on Palm Sunday, Jesus showed us a little bit of how to walk the road and how to make the road that is the kingdom of God. I said he never took the title of king before this time, but everybody around him was always asking him to do it. You know, they said, you keep talking about this kingdom, and it sounds way better than the Caesar thing. Will you please actually please be king? Like, really, pretty please. Trying to get him to run for office, I think. (laughs) They're handing him championship belts and crowns and, like, taking selfies with him and posted it on social media. I think is what it says in the original Greek um, as it tells that story. Trying to get him to be king. And so finally, toward the end of his ministry, As he prepares to enter Jerusalem for what will be the last time, Jesus decides to make a statement about the kingdom of God versus the kingdoms and the powers of this world. And he says, this is how God's power enters and embodies, is embodied in our world. And when he shows us this picture, it's very different. See, there was a way historically that kings would enter into cities. Uh, You can read about it in places like the journals of Julius Caesar. They entered in this parade called a triumph parade, where a king or an emperor shows up with great fanfare and pageantry and reinforces their domination of the power and the hierarchy of the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus takes that triumph form 
and just flips it on its head. He says, this is what a king who walks in the way of the kingdom of God looks like. And so the first thing in a triumph is a king comes in on a mighty war stallion, a mighty war horse, and Jesus entered on a young donkey. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it's like the mayor of Denton in a, in a Fourth of July parade, sitting in the back seat of a pinto, not even like a convertible pinto, just waving it, folks, which would be awesome, but it's just not the way that the world works. But Jesus says that the way of God comes not in controlling, coercive, militaristic, dominating power, but in humility, riding on a donkey. And next, the kings come in with the armies that they've conquered, or the armies they command and the opponents that they've conquered. But Jesus, as he entered, was surrounded by a ragtag bunch of, like, us, (laughs) Women and men and children waving their palms, and all who would come joined in, not being commanded, but freely joining as community, waving their coats and their palm branches and laying them down before him in this procession, not as a fine red carpet fitting a king, but a beautiful patchwork of real humanity and real community. Because this wasn't a power trip, this was a peace march with no stallion, no army, no pretension. The king himself riding in this parade without arms, simply offering himself in the presence of community, unarmed and vulnerable, which is the way that love always shows up and the way that God's power moves in our world. And so the religious leaders saw what was going on and they try to shut it down. And they say, you're stirring things up. (laughs) Teacher, order your disciples to stay quiet and to stop You're agitating things. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. By which he meant, this kingdom is coming. The arc of the moral universe bends toward it, and nothing can stop it. Love wins. And so I'm unafraid to do what is right, because there's something deep that shouts out and cries out in all of us when we catch a glimpse of the kingdom among us. But even in the joy of that moment, even amidst the parade and the fanfare, Jesus saw that the kingdom coming would not be easy, that the journey for humanity would be long because the powers that hold on this world and in ourselves are strong. And so as the parade's going on toward the city, the stories tell us that Jesus paused for a moment of reflection as he looked ahead and he looked out at all of us. He had a moment in the midst of this parade where it says that he wept for us. Here's what it says in Luke 19. As he came near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but even now they are hidden from your eyes, he said. If we'd only recognized the things that make for peace, the way that this kingdom of God moves in our world, he says. And there's so much to say here, but just think over this story. Think of the way that Jesus shows us that Jesus used, uh, the, way, the way that Jesus' power made for peace in the world around. Jesus came humble, not proud, ready to listen to those around him, not coercive, but power with and for. He came in community, 
not in self-interest. He came for the good of all. He came empowering those around him, lifting up their voices and inviting them on this journey, not commanding them, but empowering. He came unafraid to do what is right, even staring down the authorities and the powers that would eventually take his life. And he came unarmed in love, not seeking to defend himself, but seeking to serve and to love his neighbor first. That's how God's power came into and was embodied in our midst. Power offering itself on behalf of those around, willingly laying down status and stallion for the back of a donkey in the community of singing together. That's the character of God's kind of kingdom, and that's the way that leads to peace. So we may not be kings and queens exactly as we move through this world. At least people won't let us refer to ourselves in that way. Um, But we all have power in our world, don't we? In various ways, we have power and privilege and position and opportunity. Some of us, because of socioeconomics and gender and race and orientation and nationality, have a lot. I, for instance, as a straight white man, look like 99% of the kings across Western civilization, just with less frothy collars and, uh, and no um, carousel horse that I get to ride around on. I have a lot. And so what am I doing with my parade in this world? What is my parade like? Am I, are, are we using our power in the way of Jesus? Are we coming humble, ready to listen? Are we coming in community to be on this journey with and for each other? Are we empowering those around us, not commanding? Are we courageous to do what is right? And are we coming in love? Are we turning the parade itself on its head and using our power to plant seeds of flourishing, to stand up against injustice, to lift the vulnerable, and to love our neighbor and thus fulfill the royal law of love, the law of this kingdom? At the end of the day, whose kingdom am I building? Am I building my own? Am I building Caesar's structures? Or am I building God's kind of kingdom, the kingdom of all people, the beloved community, the kingdom of God. This story, as I was looking back on it, just reminded me that I've got to get off my horse. (laughs) I've got to get down on the ground, on the donkey or the pinto or whatever it takes, so I can listen, I can learn, I can know more about how to love and uplift my neighbor. I need to pass the mic I need to embrace and uplift and listen. And listen to struggles and experiences and stories and listen to dreams and hopes of my neighbors so that I can help them flourish and know what it is that I can offer as I come in. And in those places where it's not my chance just to sit back and be the one waving the palm branch as I celebrate others around us so that I can help my neighbor flourish and build seeds and build this road by walking it, by walking in the way of the kingdom of God. That's what this story invites us to. So this past week, um, there was quite a little parade going on at UNT, I'd say. Um, (laughs) This 
This week in Dallas, uh, each year apparently, there's an annual international convention of street preachers, um, which I don't know if they get a bulk discount on bullhorns in those spaces. But each year, they send a team of street preachers to UNT, to a campus here in our backyard, to march in, in power, with signs and bullhorns in this triumph parade through the streets of campus. And they don't come in stallions and war horses, but they come for battle, wielding their power to speak loudly and carry harmful signs. But each year, the people who follow in the way of Jesus show up too, and they turn the whole parade on its head. They show up with humility, they show up with humor, (laughs) and care, and kindness. They don't fight back, they love back, and they try to walk in the way of Christ. It's students from the Denton Wesley Foundation, from right here at Open, from all over UNT and TWU campus, show up in creative love. Um, these students who show up have better signs. <laughs> They've got better music. Uh, there was a saxophone rendition I hear of Jesus Loves Me and uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song, too, which is just, we should put that in our worship set list this next time. It's amazing. But most of all, they've got the things that make for peace as they move through this world. They've got humility and community and empowerment and courage and vulnerability and love. You see in this picture Hannah Phillips. Um, who showed up simply with a sign of her own and with cupcakes. (laughs) And she moved through the crowd and she passed out cupcakes to the street preachers and to the counter street preachers. And she took the time and love and humility to stand up with clarity and courage just to say, do you want a cupcake? (laughs) And she carried a sign that said this, if your Christianity is based in hate, It does not come from Christ. That's the kingdom that these students were building. And seed by seed, that's the kingdom that God is building too. So Hannah wrote this in a reflection. She said, In the face of blind hate, the students of UNT responded with mindful, uplifting love. Love that didn't look like abuse or coercion. Love that looked truly like the love of God. I'm proud to be a part of this community. The Holy Spirit was definitely there today, but on our side. We don't run into that kind of a situation every day, unless you walk through UNT campus, and then you do. It's about every day. But every day, in so many ways, we make choices. We plant seeds. We choose the kingdom that we are building. And when we choose the God way, the way that leads to peace, despite what it might seem like in the real world and what it might seem like to the powers of the world, we find the Spirit of God right there with us, ahead of us, through us and in us, and the kingdom of God among us. The humble power of God is right there with us, leading the way as we walk the road that we are making. And so may we, open, be people of that kind of king. People who lay our power down to offer power to others. People of humility and community, empowerment and courage, vulnerability and love. People of courage and people of cupcakes in this world that needs them. Who plant seeds to bring the flourishing 
for the people of all, for the beloved community, for the kingdom of God that grows into a great tree that gives shelter to all who pass by. May we be people of courage. May we be people of cupcakes who walk in the way of our King. For the kingdom of God, for the beloved community, for all people. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving God, who shows us the way. God, thank you. Thank you that as we gather, we meet a God who is for us and with us and among us and through us, who has paved the way that we might come just as we are, and in that, find the empowerment of our true selves. God, we are ambassadors of this kingdom, of this new way of seeing and living and being in our world that is right here with us. Help us to be that. To no longer see each other through a human point of view, but to see divinity coursing through our world. That we might be ministers, ambassadors, way pavers of reconciliation, peace, healing, hope, restoration, flourishing for all people. Let us do it in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, on the streets of our city, that we might be people who build the kingdom of God seed by seed with your spirit empowering us. We pray this in your name. Amen.